Thanks, Trace. Yeah, beautiful. Lord, bless our home, protect our home. Isn't that what we want? That's, that's great. Boy, praise the Lord. Great truth to that. And we could also take that another step further and say, Lord, bless our church, protect our church. We want our love to endure, our love to grow for one another. And that is what the theme of Titus is all about. So thank you for coming out tonight. Thank you for the special, your singing, all of it together for the glory of God. Praise the Lord. Well, take your Bibles, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. I just want to remind you of a few things. Titus chapter 1. And as you're finding chapter 1, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for the Word of God. It is breathed out by the Holy Spirit as he moved holy men of old to write these texts. We know this is truth. We can rely upon it. We can trust your word. It is beneficial. It is profitable for us. It will reveal issues of the heart. It will strengthen our faith. It will uphold the weak. It will comfort the faint-hearted. It has a plethora of ministries in our life. So we're thankful for the word and for the Holy Spirit who brings it to light and brings it to even empowerment as we trust in you. So I pray, Father, that this study of Titus would be life-changing. It would be church-changing. And as a result, men and women, boys and girls in our community, in the surrounding region, would hear of Christ. They would come to the understanding of the truth, and that would bring about lives of godliness for your honor and glory. Father, our desires for your glory, more worshipers, more men and women giving thanks and praise to the Lord Jesus in our area. So give us help, give us your power, give us a burden to fulfill your will for our church. Thank you for the beautiful text of scriptures that we're looking at tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So Titus chapter 1. Remember verse 5 is where we found kind of like the key summary of what's going on in this very short book, 46 verses that Paul writes to Titus. Uh, The word of God says in verse 5, for this reason... Paul writes, I left you in Crete. So Titus is left alone. He's not with his mentor, Paul. But maybe if Paul is in his 60s, then maybe Titus would be in his 30s. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But a a young man, 30s, you know, probably not more than 40. And here he is left in Crete by himself that you should set in order the things that are lacking. All right, that's one of his roles is to set in order those things which are lacking. And as I mentioned this morning, The churches in Crete, it's not like they had major fundamental issues. It doesn't seem like they they were off in doctrine. It doesn't seem like they were corrupt churches that needed a stern hand or rebuke like Galatians. Remember the Galatian churches? Wow, Paul goes through in that first missionary journey, and he, he plants many churches in the region of Galatia, and no sooner does he leave Galatia than the false teachers come along, and they go church after church saying, oh, Paul gave you half a gospel. The whole gospel is, it's trust in Jesus and become Jewish. Get circumcised, follow the Mosaic law. And what, did, what was Paul's response for those churches? There was no word of thanks. There was a quick, a quick brief opening as to who's writing the letter. And then he's like, oh, foolish Galatians. If anybody, myself or an angel or anybody preached another gospel, let them be cast into hell forever. I mean, that's a, a pretty heated book, Galatians is. So, so it's not like there's, it's not like the churches were falling apart, but, but basically they just were there. And so Paul says to Titus, I'm leaving you in Crete that you would set in order, that you would 
go to the churches and, and challenge them to improve their ministries. Listen, every church needs improvement, right? There, there is no church that you could say is doing everything right all the time. It's not even possible. There is not one church that has ever existed that has not been without flaws. True? Every single church, I don't care if it's the greatest church on earth, it needs improvement. Every family needs improvement. Every marriage needs improvement. No matter how great they are, they just, they need improvement. And so the churches in Crete need to be improved and to set in order the things that were unfinished. Because when is our ministry done? Not this week. It's not going to be done next week. And I'll tell you what, if God gives us 20 more years on this corner, it is not going to be done in 20 years. We're not going to be done until the Lord takes us home in the rapture or until I go home, whatever, whatever is first. But then we can finally say we're done, right? Then we've finished the race and the course and the fight and all of that. You agree? So my challenge for you is this. I think God, I know, oh, I know God is speaking to our local church through the word of God in Titus. And he's challenging us to improve the ministry. There's great things going and there's areas that need improvement. But the, the idea is all of us have a role to play. We all, we all have some responsibility to further and improve the ministry. And then I gave you two reasons this morning. You know why in these first five verses we need to improve the ministry here at Faith? Because number one, this is God's plan. God's plan was for the faith of the elect, that people out here would hear the gospel, they would believe the gospel. That's where God's plan starts. And don't you want to improve our, our, our ministry here so more people hear more effectively the truth of the gospel? Why not? Absolutely. That's why we're here. But it doesn't just stop there. It's for the faith of the elect that in, in acknowledgement of the truth. Then we bring them in and we teach them the truth. And they begin to know more about God. They know more about the end times. They more, know more about creation. They know more about the time of the judges. They know more about... It's just learning truth. So the, God's plan is the hearing and believing of the gospel, the growing and understanding of God's word, which accords to godliness. Because it's not just knowing the Bible. It's having the Bible affect our, our behavior. It's, it's changing my choices all the time. Things that I want to do when I pass them through scripture, I'm like, that's not best. It's, not, it's going to enslave if I do that. It's not beneficial. It's not expedient. I can go right through 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 10, and I can ask a bunch of questions that would then change my behavior according to God's word. Isn't that a great plan? Isn't it worth it to improve our ministry no matter how great things can be in certain areas? To improve our ministry so more people hear the gospel, more people grow in the understanding of the truth, and more godliness abounds. It's just a win-win all around. You all agree? That's why we're here, okay? But then there's a second reason why... Paul says, this is why I want these churches to improve. This is why God wants these ministries to improve. Because not only did God have a plan, but he made a promise before the world began. And the promise was the hope of eternal life. Pretty awesome. The hope of eternal life with the Lord Jesus in his presence in heaven. You can't get any better than that. That very news that we have an assured hope of heaven when we die should actually cause us to get out of here and go to everybody and shout the good news to them. Because when I die, 
It's not lostness or torment. It's, it's heaven. It's Jesus. It's face-to-face with my creator. That's great, isn't it? Whom, whom do I desire in heaven? I've got lots of relatives up in heaven. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you know who they all are, but I'm sure I've got some relatives. And we've got some church people up in heaven. I, we, there's angels in heaven and Adam and Eve and Noah and Esther. and all. I mean, great. But you know whom I really desire? Christ. I don't want to sit and visit with Noah if I have the opportunity to sit and visit with Christ. I mean, he's my life. He's my joy. He's the treasure that I have found that I am hiding in the field, willing and joyfully selling everything because I know Christ is of far more value than any paycheck I could ever get, right? The pearl of great price, same thing. Oh, you guys know all this. All right, so that's the, that's the, now we're going to study in the next week's this. Next week, we're going to talk leadership. And God says, we're going to start looking at leadership because leadership has to set the example and pattern. But it's not just you're looking for those things in your leader, which you ought to find, not in perfection, of course. By the way, if you expect a perfect leader, um, you're going to ever get it? No, you will never, never get the perfect leader. Well, Jesus, but you'll get, besides him, you're not going to have a perfect pastor Ever, ever, ever. So he's going to start with leadership, and then he's going to say, all right, Titus, the leadership has to set a pattern so that not everybody can just simply point out, yeah, this has to be in our pastor, but it's actually, this is what I need to be like as well. All right, and then he's going to talk uh, about the troublemakers and those who have brought other doctrines into the church, and then he's going to talk to older men. 50 years old and plus. And he's going to say, all right, older men, you want to improve your church? This is where you're going. Older women, more mature women, this is what you need to be doing and focusing on to to improve the ministry. Younger women, younger men. By the way, if you have an opportunity to start reading those, you'll find it's interesting. It's totally backwards of how I would write it, which tells you it's got to be God who did this because I would, I would give one thing to the 50-plus, since I just turned 50, I'd give one thing to the 50-plus guys, and then all the young guys, I'd be like, all right, young guys, you got to do this, 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 this. You know what God does? He says to the younger guys, do one thing. They get it pretty easy, don't they? Just do one thing. I'm going to tell you in a couple of weeks what that one thing is. Well, then he's going to talk about slaves and, their, and their, how they work. Then he's going to talk to um, Titus about being a pattern that adorns and displays the gospel. And then in chapter 3, uh, after a really great talk about the gospel, the gospel and the cross, he's going to say, church, you've got to improve your testimony to the community. How the outsiders of the faith look at you. And so we'll, this is what we're going to do in the next couple of I don't know, month and a half or whatever time we have, that's what we're going to do, all right? So then in the evenings, and I've already used most of my time, in the evenings, what I want to do, because Titus is such a short book, and it is so full of truth. And as I mentioned this morning, isn't it wonderful that our God put all of this in a 46-verse manual instead of a 460-page? So we can get this. It's not going to be too hard. Tonight, so each evening, whatever the morning discussion is about improving our church, in the evening, I want to get down to some nuts and bolts, which is where I'm going to take you right now. Because God's plan is the motivating reason why we need to improve, I thought, let's talk about God's plan of getting the gospel out so people can hear it and believe it. So take your outline, if you have it, 
I want you to just catch a few quick things. Number one, evangelism is intentional. It is intentional. You're not going to wake up tomorrow and be evangelistic. You're not going to wake up and just think, oh, I'm going to reach people with the gospel because they're lost and going to hell. It doesn't work that way. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be deliberate. You don't just slide into giving the gospel. You've got to be ready for it. Hey, it requires, and this is some Wednesday night stuff I'm just going to review with you. You want to be intentional about evangelism, about declaring the gospel, because that's where God's plan starts. And if we're going to, by the way, if we want to improve any part of our church, whether it's the teaching, whether it's the pastoral ministry, the deacon ministry, the church service committee, the nursery ministry, the music ministry, I mean, the social media ministry, oh, what, whatever we want to improve, do you know where we have to start? Evangelism. I've been here 18 years. Most of church growth at this place has come from where? Other churches. And when you come from other churches, often what do you bring? Baggage. I've had people that, that will come in and say, I hated our previous pastor. I'm so glad I can be at faith. And then I'm thinking, uh-oh, you hate it? Okay, it won't be very long before you hate me. I had somebody come to me years ago and said, here's why we left a church, so, such and such a reason. And believe it or not, they left our church for the exact same reason years later. The exact same reason. But you know what I'd love to see? The gospel going effectively out so men and women are hearing the gospel, believing, and we're training them in God's truth. So this is where we really want to be focusing. And so tonight, remember, evangelism is intentional. Here's what it requires, a heart of love and selflessness. We've got to look at people as going to heaven or hell, not just as nuisances or something we can get something from. All right? We need to look at people as eternal souls that are either going to heaven or hell. Paul had this heart in Romans chapter 9 where he said, with continual grief and great sorrow, chapter 9, verse 2 of Romans, with continual grief, how does that sound to you? It doesn't sound like it was a five-minute episode. Continual grief and with great sorrow, Paul says, I I mourn over my countrymen, so much so that if if I could be accursed that my Jewish brethren could be saved, I would do it. Wow. I bet when he walked around the marketplace, his heart was breaking because men and women were going to hell and his own Jewish people were. Jesus, in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, he's on his way for the triumphal entry. He looks down at the city of Jerusalem and he knows he's going to be rejected and he will be going to the cross and he weeps. The Lord Jesus weeps. Why? Because he knows that they have rejected salvation and they will perish for all eternity. That's where it starts. So it starts just recognizing everybody has a soul that will last forever. I don't care what they look like. I don't care anything about even the depth of their sin. If they're breathing, they need the gospel. You agree? When I had that prison ministry, I have no idea what kind of depravity... Was, was, had been exhibited in their previous lives. But you know what? I, di- I didn't even care. Because I knew one thing, they're alive and they need the gospel. And when I had that pagan cult leader who took his shirt off and he said, Pastor Wita, here's what I had tattooed on my back. There is no God but man. And, but then he began to cry and he said, there is a God and it's Jesus Christ. Thank you for showing him to me. I mean, I don't, that guy, he, he wasn't innocent, whatever he's doing in there. But he, needed the, he needs the gospel. So we have to look. We have, that's where it starts. And then secondly, 
It's just not enough to have a heart of love. We have to actually speak. So in the first missionary journey, we're not going to have time to go to all of these, but in Acts, you read these on your own this week. In Acts chapter 13, I'm going to go there because I, I need you to see that there's some repetition here in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 42. If you want to go with me there, please do. Acts 13, verse 42. Normally, we're in one text, and we can just stay there, but here we're going to be going around a little bit. Look at Acts 13. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 42. The Apostle Paul had just given a message. He had just preached a message out of Old Testament history. And then he ends up by saying this, this Jesus whom was crucified is the only way to have forgiveness of sins. He is your only option for forgiveness of sins. But I want you to know that if you don't respond to the message, God is going to do a strange work. He's going to judge you for it. So if you don't respond to the gospel, he's going to judge you someday for that. That's how he ends. Now, in chapter 42, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Okay, so I circled these words because he's using God's word. Paul is using God's word and giving the gospel. Now, when the congregation had spoken up had, or had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, do you see they're speaking? Speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So some believed, not 100%, but some did. But what did Paul do? They, Paul and Barnabas got out there and spoke the word. And you will find in the next coming verses, lots of rejection. Did it stop Paul and Barnabas that there was lots of rejection? No. Did they expect lots of rejection? Yes or no? You can go ahead and answer like a Sunday school class. Did they expect rejection? Yes. Why would they expect rejection, giving such a glorious message? Because how did the world treat Jesus? They rejected him. And if they rejected him, are they going to reject us? Guaranteed. So when you go out to witness intentionally this week... Just expect you're going to get some rejection. Now, I gave the gospel quite a bit this last week. I didn't get any rejection. I didn't get any in favors of, but I, but I planted seeds. I, God does the saving, but, you know, I had nobody throw the Bible out of my hand, and I didn't have anybody rip up a tract and say, don't ever talk to me. I've had that before, but not this week. So, all right. Look at the next part, verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. So I circled that phrase, hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. So a serious rejection of the message. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. See, what did rejection do for Paul and Barnabas? It, it made them bolder. It just gave them even more confidence that if the world hates me, I must be doing something right. Right? The, what's the problem with the world and the church right now? They're in love with each other. The world loves the church, and the church loves the world, and we're all getting along. I'm not saying deliberately go out and be offensive. Don't, you know what I mean. I'm not saying don't go and, and treat others badly, but just ex expect that. That's the way it's going to be. All right. So the word of God, word of God, word of God. Okay, here's one more kind of neat text. Verse 46, Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It is necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord. 
It's just critical to our gospel. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. There were certain groups of people that God knew from the foundations of the world that they would trust him. All right? The gospel for everybody. Jesus died for all people. But not all will believe. But those who believe are part of his family. They are the elect. And it's not that God elects some to heaven and some to hell, but those who believe. We give the gospel to everybody. Jesus died for everybody, and everybody can respond to the gospel. So it's not up to us who responds. It is up to us to simply speak it out. You agree? That's all that God is asking us to do, speak it out. Well, in the second missionary journey, and we've talked about this at length, but in the second missionary journey, Acts 17, Paul reasons and demonstrates the gospel in the synagogue in Thessalonica. Then he gets down to Athens. Listen, you guys, do you know what he does in Athens? He sees 30,000 statues. I've been in Athens. I was in Athens, what, some years ago? And there's still many remnants and relics, but you can imagine 30,000 gods and goddesses in Athens. And what's Paul's attitude in his spirit about all the false gods that are being worshipped? The Bible says in Acts 17, his spirit is provoked within him. He, his, because he knows these men and women in Athens will go to hell forever. And so he goes to the marketplace and reasons the gospel with whoever happens to be there. Isn't that great? We have to speak the word of God. We have to deliver the, the word of God somehow, whether it's by paper and a tract or by our voice, but we have to speak the truth. We have to speak to others the gospel. All right. So it requires a heart of love. It requires speaking the gospel. Here are some good reminders. Use God's word. Sometimes I like to do this. I like to just have my Bible and I open it up and I'll say, I'll open it even to like John 3, 16 and say, hey, would you read this verse in the Bible? What, do you, what does it mean? For God so loved the world that he gave his, okay, what does that mean? Oh, God loves the world. Yep, he sure does. He created it. He loves it. That he gave his only begotten son. Uh, who's the son? Well, Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. So God gave Jesus because he loves the world that whoever believes in him, what does it mean to believe? And, and what did he do that we have to believe in? And then I can explain the gospel. I'm just using God's word, and, and they're figuring it out on their own. It's just, you, you can do the same with Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray, everyone having turned his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, just take him right through the text, and it's God's word. And boy, if anything is going to convince him, it's not my winsomeness, certainly not my, my looks, and it's not my talent. It's going to be God's word that's going to penetrate the hard heart. All right. Do you get the idea? We're just using God's word and pray. And then remember in Acts 18, Paul gets to Corinth after Athens, and he's afraid. He's, he goes in 1 Corinthians 2, it says he's with trembling and with great fear. He's in Corinth. He's alone. God gives him some new friends, Priscilla and Aquila. God brings old friends, Silas and Timothy, back into the picture. Isn't God good comforting us when we're afraid, even in evangelism? He has some new friends. He has some old friends. And then the Lord appears to him at night and says, Do not be afraid, Paul, for no one in this city will hurt you. Had Paul been hurt before physically? Yep. But now Jesus said, Nobody's going to hurt you in Corinth, for I have many people in the city who need the gospel. 
I'm going to ask you again, like I did, I think, last week. Are there people in Hermantown and Proctor, Esco, Cloquet, and Duluth that God has ready for salvation? Absolutely, yes. I was one of them some years ago. You were, if you lived in this area, one of them. There are more out there. What do they need? They just need somebody like you to give them the gospel. All right. So, secondly, remember, so evangelism is intentional. We're having hearts of love, and we're speaking the gospel. Every time you witness, it's a winning situation, regardless of the outcome. If somebody trusts the Lord, is that a winning situation? Absolutely it is. It's a glorious thing, and we rejoice. What if, like I did this past week, give the gospel, and just nobody with eagerness jumped up and said, oh, it's me, I'm saved now, or whatever, you know. Is it still a winning situation? The answer is yes, because I planted seeds and somebody else can give more seeds. Like Dick Peterson, years ago when I had my business, came and fixed a lock in my back door when my, uh, my business had been burglarized. He's out witnessing to me, and I thought, this guy is a nutcase. Here it's like 11 o'clock, 11.30, and he's talking about Jesus, and he's giving me a tract. And I was like, all right, just, you know, fix my door. I got to go to bed, that type of thing. Well, then... Then I get saved, and I come here, and he's still doing it. And I'm like, I don't remember that. And then I had a marimba student who was a former Baptist pastor, and he would just quote scripture all the time when I called him on the phone. And it just annoyed me because I just want to talk to him about an appointment for his wife, and he quotes a psalm. But I'll tell you what, every time he did that, he planted seeds. And then my sister Karen, and then Pastor Lapine, and I was a hard case. So, so you go and share the gospel with anybody this week, it's going, it's going to be a winning situation because that's a command. Go with the gospel. All right. And then um, thirdly, what if they do reject you? Is that still a winning situation? Yes, because Luke chapter 6, 22 and 23, blessed are those who persecute you and hate you for my name's sake, Jesus said. For great is your reward in heaven because this they did to your fathers the prophets. So you get rejected outright with some big, 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 big scene. So did Isaiah. They cut him in half. So did Hosea and Obadiah and Amos and Joel. And you're in good company. You're in good company. You agree? So no matter what, you just give the gospel this week. It's, it's a great thing. You're obedient to the Lord. He only blesses and honors obedience like that. All right. Why don't we witness? Oh, I put this down. We don't have to give the gospel this week. We get, to, we get to give the gospel. It's a privilege. It's a whole different mindset. Don't think of it as drudgery or like, oh, no, I got to hand out a tract and uh, give a big tip. And It's like, I get to do this on behalf of my Savior. All right, why don't we witness? Oswald Smith said this. Oh, my friends, we are loaded down with countless church activities while... The real work of the church, that of evangelizing the world and winning the lost, it's almost entirely neglected. True? We are so busy with so many things. But the one key thing that is between life and death, we tend to neglect. No longer. Let's, let's improve. Like Titus is telling the churches, God's plan starts with hearing and believing. That's where we got to be. That's where we start. All right. You know why we don't witness? We fear being rejected. Who likes being rejected? Man, when it came to sports in school, I don't care if I was in elementary school. I already, everybody knew I was not athletic. I was the last one picked all the time. And often, 
They'd be like, well, you take them. No, you take them. No, you take them. No, you take them. I'd be like, I'll, I'll sit out. I don't care. I mean, I, just rejection. I mean, nobody likes it. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Will he ever reject me? Ever? No. I have a Savior who will never reject me. The world may, but my Savior won't. All right, how about this? You just don't know how to. You just don't know how to witness. How do you start a conversation? So I threw these things out, I, things that I have written down and things that I've read and things that I used, found in other books. I, so I like this. Can I ask you an interesting question? Uh, what's happening spiritually in your life? Now, you'll see it later in my notes, but most people, I think almost everybody, want to talk about spiritual things. People love talking about spiritual things, and they love talking politics. Two things you're not supposed to ever talk about are the very two things everybody wants to talk about. Everybody wants to tell you what they think politically, and everybody wants to tell you what they think spiritually. Rarely do I have anybody say, well, I'm not interested in spiritual things. Rarely. I mean, I don't even know if that's ever happened. So, hey, can I ask you an interesting question? How are you doing spiritually? What's going on in your life spiritually? Are you learning? Are you... Do you believe in God? Do you not believe in God? Those are innocent questions, but it, at least it points things to spiritual truth. How about this? You have a tract in your hand. Hey, did you get one of these? I mean, people love to get things. So it's like, hey, did you get one of these things? No, no, I didn't. Oh, here you go. It's got the greatest news in the world. It talks about sin and the problem of sin and what happens when we die and what Jesus did for us. You know, what an gr- easy way to, boy, did you get one of these? That's, okay, how about this? This is an old familiar one. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? I don't use that one very much anymore because as soon as they, if you were to die today, they think you're some kind of creep that'll kill them. So you got to be careful. You know, just know the person you're going to give it to. Like, who was hitchhiking? Somebody was, picked up a hitchhiker and said, hey, if you were to die today, would you know if you're going to heaven? I mean, the hitchhiker probably is thinking, I got to get out of this vehicle, you know. So just be careful how you use that. But um, if you stood before God and he asked you why you should be allowed into heaven, what would you say? I like this one because people love to think about this. What, happens when a per- what do you think happens when a person dies? It's a great way to talk about spiritual things. You're having a conversation. Hey, I got a question. This is a great question. I want to know what you think. What happens the very moment a person dies? You know? Oh, you'd be amazed at what people think. That is not even biblical at all. Oh, they become angels, and they're floating up on a cloud. It's like, oh, okay, let's talk about that, right? All right. Oh, why do you wear that cross? Oh, just about everybody wears crosses, or a couple of them, ears, nose, uh, all over the place. It's great. Hey, why do you, do you know the cross is a, a executing uh, instrument? You know, people were executed that way. It was exactly like having an electric chair on your chain there. Um, do you know who died on the cross? It was Jesus. You know what he did for you? He paid for your sin. Once for, it's just phenomenal. Do you know Jesus? The cross means so much to me. I mean, there's, do you see what I'm saying? There are lots of ways. All right. Um, do you want to go to heaven? What's the most important thing in the world to you? Okay. Or you can even say like this, like I can make a guarantee. I am hundred percent guaranteed that you will be dead longer than you'll be alive. Even if you live to be a hundred, you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. So if you're so worried about your hundred years on earth, don't you think you should be concerned about what happens after you're dead? You know, oh, that's a great question. People are thinking about death all the time. You, you know, I feel just terrible about this uh, older couple that they, they found. And, and, 
Yeah, the Tarnowskis. Oh, I just feel terrible for that family. I've been thinking about them so much. But what an opportunity this week to say, you know, I've been praying for that family where the parents were found dead. And I mean, what do you think happens when people die? It's a, it's, D.L. Moody said, D.L. Moody said if he had, if he could talk to somebody about eternity for five minutes, keep them thinking about it, he could lead them to Christ. Because people are concerned about eternity, whether you believe it or not. They are. They are very concerned about what happens when they die. Um, how about this one? 150 years from now, is it going to matter to you, if you what job you had? Uh, go by any cemetery. Melissa and I, for date night, we love to go to cemeteries. It's kind of weird, but we love, we love to go through cemeteries, and we look at people, and we sometimes see whole families, and we're like, wow, they died over 100 years ago. I wonder why they died and how they all died on the same day and, or same year. And then we're like, what jobs did they have? Did they raise crops? Yeah, you know, what did they do for fun? Did they go on family vacations? But you know what? None of that matters. It doesn't matter what car they drove, how many horses they had, but what does matter? Did they know their creator and their savior, right? So what a great question to talk to. You know what? I've been thinking, you know what I've been thinking this week? 150 years from now, none of this is going to matter. But one thing is going to matter. Do we know the God who created everything? That's a, in a, that's a great way to bring about the truth of the gospel. All right. I do this with my high school students all the time. What then? Because they'll be like, oh, Mr. Wida, um, I'm going to go to college and do this. And I'll be like, oh, what then? Well, then I'm going to get a good job. Okay, what then? Well, then I'm going to get married. Oh, I'm going to get married. We're going to have a great life and a great family. Everything's going to be rosy. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. What then? And they're going, oh, then we're going to have grandkids? And then I'm like, oh, what then? Well, then we're going to retire. And then, well, what then? Well, then we're going to die. And then, what then? I, I don't know. What happens when you die? Oh, I'll tell you what happens when you die. You have time right now to prepare for that. It's just a great... I mean, see, does this help? It just gives you, if you, don't, you don't have to be afraid talking about spiritual things or Jesus. Um, are the Muslims afraid of talking about Muhammad? They will jam Muhammad down our throats with a weapon. They, they, they have no fear. They're proud of him. They're, they're proud of Muhammad. They're proud of the five tenets of Islam They're proud of praying on a rug five times a day towards Mecca. They're not ashamed. When I I was in Jordan, going down the King's Highway, uh, beautiful black sedans were flying off the side of the road, going into the dirt, like screeching tires. And I was like, why is everybody vacating the road? And these men in business suits, like, you're talking... You know, this, I don't know what this is. This is not a business. This is just cloth. They had like some business suits and they're getting down in the sand, praying toward Mecca. Their car door open, their car's running. When was the last time you saw a Christian with that kind of passion praying for Jesus, to Jesus? Even at the park, Melissa and I went for a walk the other day with the dog. And, uh, sure enough, I was like, Melissa, it's that time of the day. And there was a family of, of Muslims facing towards the east, praying right there. Wow, when do you see that kind of passion with Christians who have the real gospel and the real truth and the real God? Uh, Maybe this one. There are only two sure things in this world. What are the two sure things? 
death and taxes. I'm going to be paying my taxes soon. But what happens when you die? You know, oh, there's a thousand ways to do this. Uh, I, this one I used this week. I, I used it a couple of times, I think, where I did this. I really care about you, and, I, and they're a complete stranger, but I'll, I'll be like, you know what? I really care about you, and I, I, I need you to understand the truth of Jesus because when you die, I want you to be able to go to heaven because Jesus paid your sin. Just, I care about you, and I care about what happens to you when you die. I think people would be like, wow, thank you for caring about me. All right. You can go on and just think about those. You know why else we don't witness? We're afraid of losing our friends. But do you really want a friend for the next 20 years when you'll be separated for the next 800 billion plus years in eternity? What kind of friendship is that? Better to see them rescued by the Savior how about this? I'm lazy. I know p- maybe the reason why people don't like to witness is eh, they got other things to do. They're just. But if Jesus were to give you $1,000 every time you witnessed, would you witness? <laughs> oh, man, I bet we'd have a boatload of money tomorrow. Um, how about this? People don't want to talk about spiritual things. That is not true. I don't know enough of the Bible. Don't worry. You, listen, you don't have to know the sublapsarian views of decree and election and creation. You, just, you know the gospel, right? That's what you need to know. And then um, think about how you respond to some of those thoughts because I get asked these types of questions all the time and it just brings me right to the gospel. All right, improving our evangelism. So I didn't take you to too many verses or texts, but I guess what I want to make you think about is this. Everybody on this planet will spend eternity in heaven or hell. Those are the only two options. And you and I, have the message of God's plan, Jesus' death on the cross for our sins and his resurrection. He has commanded us. And part of the improving our ministry is improving our outreach. So let's go and speak and, and be unashamed. Listen, this world could be over in a matter of years. True? The rapture takes place, seven years of tribulation, the glorious return of Jesus, the thousand year empire, the millennial kingdom. The great white throne judgment, hey, it's going to be over soon. So let's take advantage of it right now. And let me ask you this as we close. Will God bless this church when we step out in faith and do this? Yes or no? Yes. Absolutely yes? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And if you plant any number of seeds, there probably won't be 100% harvest. There never is. But there'll be some. And that would be a joy. All right, so next week, study out in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. We'll pick it up in verse 5 again and go to verse 9. And we'll look at leadership. And then in the evening, I'm going to preach through um, some, uh, a passage of the Bible that's going to deal direct, a different passage that'll deal with leadership. All right? So be thinking about our church, our local church. Pray for one another. Love one another. Encourage one another. All right? Sorry, I did go over time a little bit, but just wanted to throw all of those things at you quickly. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this book of Titus that we can study, where Titus was told to set things in order to see that the churches would improve in their ministries for your glory. Thank you that you've given us a plan and a promise of eternal life. The plan is our proclaiming the gospel. It is sharing the good news with others so that, Father, there are men and women that are captivated by sin. They are enslaved to sin and the temporary pleasures of this world. They've been blinded by Satan, 
And when we witness this week, it is going to be spiritual warfare all over. Satan will be irate with this church. He will be furious because he has blinded the eyes of this community and the surrounding area. And when we seek to declare Jesus, it won't make him happy, but it will delight you. And we want to please you, Father. I pray you will bless the ministry as we seek to improve our evangelism, our teaching, our music, our media, all areas. We just want to do better and better for your glory and for your honor. Strengthen our faith. Bring about a deeper love for one another. Watch over Ernie Klang as he continues his chemotherapy treatments. Um, Please bless him and heal him from this esophageal cancer. Keep his white blood cells up high, Father, like you've been doing. We just entrust you with his physical life. Thank you, Father, for all the parts of our church and pray that we could really care for one another this week. You are a great God. You are worthy of all of our praise. And all God's people said, amen.